0: Into the Mothlight. Into the Mothlight. Hi and welcome to another episode of Into the Mothlight. We've stepped away from the comfort of our darkened studio at Mothlight HQ and we're recording the introduction to episode 5 in the sunshine. I'm sitting on the top of a hill that overlooks a 16th century Peel Tower where last week we attended a screening of the Stan Brakhage film Text of Light, more of that in the next episode. Anyway, to business. The Ann Arbor Film Festival is the oldest avant-garde and experimental film festival in North America. It was founded in 1963 and is internationally recognised as a premier forum for independent filmmakers and artists. Each year's festival engages audiences with remarkable cinematic experiences. It's a six-day festival that presents 40 programmes with more than 180 films from over 20 countries of all lengths and genres. And that includes experimental, animation, documentary, fiction and performance-based work. The festival executive director is Leslie Raymond. I met Leslie recently as she presented a touring program of 16 millimeter films from this year's festival. I began by asking her about this particular program.
1: Into the Moth Light. So the um, Ann Arbor Film Festival has had a touring program for over 50 years now. It began the second year of our festival. Um, and let's see, that was, so that would have been in 1964. The goal of that touring program was to give filmmakers further exposure, um, get their work out to places that maybe would not have a chance to see it. So the program that I got to present here at Alchemy is our 16 millimeter program. Um, from this year's Ann Arbor Film Festival that took place in March. Um, We have three different programs this year, the 16mm program that we looked at here, and then two digital programs. Mm -hmm. Um, We typically have uh, uh, 20 to 25 different tour bookings each season, each year. Um, Universities, uh, art house cinemas, micro cinemas, uh, all kinds of different venues will book it and we're very proud that we can help support the filmmakers in part with that. We um, pay them a rental fee to show their, show their work and then as well get them a- additional exposure. And it's great for, for us because it gets our name out there too.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's take it back a wee step then. So in terms of experimental film and the moving image as we understand it and appreciate it, What was your kind of first moments when you recognized that there was more to the moving image than the blockbusters of your youth, for example?
1: Hmm. Gosh, I haven't thought about that. I probably wouldn't have articulated it this way, but when I was a kid, I grew up watching public television children's programming like Sesame Street and The Electric Company, and they had... Um, short films, they had uh, uh, short little documentaries, uh, observational bits, they had uh, uh, educational animations and um, all kinds of moving image pieces to what they did um, that I think could easily be categorized in the experimental um, realm. And in fact, um, Jim Henson, who is the guy who did uh, started? I believe he started Sesame Street, but he also was the founder of the Muppets and the Muppet Movie and the Muppet Show. He was an experimental filmmaker before he went to children's television.
0: And um, you've talked a lot about David Lynch as 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 an inspiration. So, can you remember the first time that you were, um, let's say, subjected to to, <laughs> to his work? Then,
1: let me think. I wonder if it was. I wonder if it was Twin Peaks. When the television show came on mm-hmm. I may have seen something before that but that that's a clear memory because I was in my final year of college studying film video at the Rhode Island School of Design and the way that our program was structured that um, in your final year you could really focus on your senior thesis so the group that I was with in film video uh, I believe it was Tuesday nights they would all get together and watch Twin Peaks the first couple I missed, um, I don't know, I didn't, maybe I didn't uh, have a great respect for David Lynch yet, but um, I joined in as the one time that I was a joiner that I'm really happy I did. <laughs> um, yeah, and so it was not only uh, a great eye-opening experience of what could be done on television, but it was a great bonding time
0: for me in college. Mm-hmm. And I think you need that at that age, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So he's, and David Lynch is obviously known for, he's, he's working film and television. Um, he's also a musician and an artist. Um, meditation plays an important part in his working process. So to think the fact that he is involved in so many different um, platforms and experiments so much, that that perhaps led to you being involved with expanded cinema rather than just purely single channel work?
1: Hmm, That's an interesting question. Did he have an uh, impact on me being more involved in expanded cinema forms? I do recognize that he was more of a visual artist before he came to film and video. I recognize that he uh, he would he sort of evolved into animation because he saw his paintings Uh, he would look at them and start to see them uh, moving um, and he started to um, create animation and um, do projection on his paintings and things like that. I don't know that he directly was how I came into that. Um, and thinking back, I, I don't know, me as an artist, uh, well, I should say my parents are also artists. My dad um, originally a painter, but he um, professionalized through architecture. And then my mom is, uh, is a potter. And um, so I grew up in a kind of uh, uh, um, artistic household. And I think when I was 15, I got my first SLR c- still camera uh, and really embraced photography. Um, so my personal journey as an artist um, has always been you know, kind of through multiple channels of media. And then it's quite possible that I sort of embraced film because because it was something different than what my parents had done. I suddenly saw the green start to move a little and I heard a wind.
0: Into the moth light.
1: It was an experiment though that opened the door to me.
0: Into the moth light.
1: Uh, that started everything rolling.
0: Obviously from having an artist as parents, having an interest in Jim Henson from an early age, <laughs> um, off to study, and then got quite a substantial career and in, in move image. Why the decision then to go and be an executive director at a film festival?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I ask myself that a lot. I had been teaching for a number of years which is a great way to maintain an art practice in the United States because, um, especially if you teach at university level, if you teach in a research institution, your research is considered your creative practice. So a lot of um, artists do find their way that way, and I felt very fortunate for many years to be doing that. Um, I was um, teaching. I had a a position for a couple years at uh, Oakland University, in not too far from Detroit outside of Detroit and uh, it was uh, as a visiting artist um, and it was uh, an impermanent position so when the time that that was coming to an end I found out that the film festival the Ann Arbor Film Festival was looking for an ED um, uh I was so naive at the time. I was thought to myself, "Ed, what's that? Education director? What could that be?" <laughs> so I started to um, that that year's festival, which maybe was the fifty-first, and they went for a year without an executive director. Um, I started to ask ask around. I'd been involved off and on with the film festival at that point for probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 years um, as uh, a volunteer, uh, as a screener, as a, uh, an artist screening work. Um, I had done installations and also brought, uh, brought together other artists to do work um, like that at the festival, um, so off and on over the years. So I felt it was... Um, uh, I knew a lot of people in within the film festival community, and a lot of people said um, that's a great idea, the executive director job. I, I could see you doing that, N- and not a single person said, "Oh, you'd be crazy to do that." So little did I know, um, but I applied for the job, and I got the job, and I really felt like it was an opportunity for me to give back to this organization, which had impacted me so. Uh, so much as a young artist. I mean it really did um, change the way that I think about art and the way that I um, create as an artist and I think it's the opportunity to have um, viewed so many different artworks by so many different artists over the years who are tr- trying many many different approaches and you know telling s- telling stories or non-stories in so many different ways that, um, definitely changed me creatively mm-hmm. and so I felt a responsibility uh, um, and an opportunity and that's that's why I did it.
0: That's why you did it. Uh-huh. Um, so that was that was interesting what you said about you know volunteering and, and all those links with the festival as well because um, I think there's certainly a lot to be gained by volunteering at a festival to understand the mechanics and the processes, and as you said, um, you know, if you volunteer and exhibit work, that's when you are exposed to c- countless other works that you might not have, um, you know, had the opportunity to watch otherwise. And of course, quite often t- to meet the artists, So that's obviously had a big impact on you.
1: Yes, definitely, it definitely has. And I think with volunteering too, you have the that opportunity to feel like you are contributing to something that's meaningful and larger than yourself, and um, and having a way to influence that a little bit too, putting your energy in there, uh, has always felt very meaningful and rewarding to me.
0: When you presented the films at Alchemy this year, you were talking about people like um, Jonas Mekus, and and obviously it's a very well-established festival with countless people that have exhibited works over the years that we now consider the greats in experimental film. So did you feel a burden of responsibility or did you feel that it was a a time for for a change and and there there was something that you could add that hadn't been there already? Mm
1: the burden of responsibility i did feel that way but i actually interestingly i did feel it was uh it was a little bit of a time for a change mm. when george manupelli founded the festival in 1963 he was partly doing it um as well, I think he saw the opportunity to make something really interesting happen there in the Midwest, and there was uh, it was a kind of a heyday of experimental film, and we had these very robust scenes in the states, uh, in New York and in San Francisco, um, and he was connected. Uh, he was very well connected with, with um, what was happening. Something he also just sort of reconsidered. I think he wanted to he wanted to be very encouraging to artists and he would say that uh, as long as we have artists making films we'll have a reason to be here. Um, So he had a very open-minded approach to it and um, I had mentioned in my introductory comments for the program the other day about how um, George had given a talk uh, at the festival um, uh, several years ago called an unauthorized history and he Introduced his kind of time with the or his founding of the festival, he he talked about that um, as a little bit of a response to what he saw happening in New York. He talked about that it's really wonderful to have a Jonas Mikas and you know that the community owes a lot to him. He helped found Anthology Film Archives, although I can't remember what year that was founded. If it was. Uh, after 1963 when Ann Arbor Film Festival was founded but nonetheless for you know many many years you know he um, wrote for the Village Voice, he helped found an Anthology Film Archive, he was at the was and is at the hub of you know that whole um, that whole scene you know he's very well respected and I think we all respect him George said an interesting thing he said well if you liked your work he showed it and if he didn't he didn't Mm -hmm. and so I envisioned something very different for for this festival and I imagined it that it would not be a taste-making kind of a festival but that it would be very open and that the the ethos of the festival would be contained within some of our processes such as the screening process which back in the early days when it was about 300 films you could actually do this you would get your screening committee of five or six people together and they would watch every minute of every film together and um, talk about it and um, through that process um, you know, you could learn a lot mm-hmm. through others and what their perceptions were and what their responses were. Um, we tried to, we, we had 3,000 entries this year, so um, our screening process has evolved, but we've tried to retain some kind of a, a space where that kind of exchange can happen, where people can talk with each other. Um, so that's what was, um, I feel, I felt very deeply... Um, connected to that original ethos and I felt very although I didn't know George for very long um, I did have an opportunity to meet him and get to know him and uh, visit with him and exchange ideas and write letters and visit. Um, So I felt a really deep responsibility to his original vision of the festival. Um, Another thing I had mentioned in my introductory remarks the other day was that um i mean you don't want to say well this is how we've always done it so let's keep doing it that way right Mm -hmm. i think it's important to recognize what are the things that are important to retain and then what are the things that are okay to let go like for a while the our festival thought it should remain a 16 millimeter film festival when it started to become obvious that um with, with the digital, um, ad- advances in digital technology and artists exploring that, that that was really the new frontier, so. Mm-hmm. But it did take, take a little, um, there were some growing pains around that.
0: <laughs> so th- that was my next question. So how, how do you retain that original vision, but also keep it fresh mm-hmm. and understand that things like virtual reality does have its place in experimental film, for example?
1: Yeah, what remains at the core is it's about moving image art and it's not necessarily about the specific medium because artists will gravitate towards what's available and what's possible. and They will often pick up the tools that the industry has have created and push at the edges of it to see what, what new possibilities there are. Even at, when film began, you know, uh, pre-1900s, the, the, the initial impulse by the, whatever the industry was at that time was let's make a proscenium stage and then film that. So it was like theater, and then sort of copying that, but doing it in film. And then it took, um, like, Georges Millier and and, uh, others, and whether you were an artist or just an innovator, you were, uh, well, especially the artists, were looking for what can you do with film that you couldn't do in theater, you know? So you could make something um, maybe more easily look like it disappears, or maybe you can make it look like you have four heads of your own who are being troublesome. Um uh, the George Millier Four Troublesome Heads piece where you see like he four of his heads on the table, all kind of giving him a hard time <laughs> so but in each iteration of each new medium, you know artists have come and pushed at the boundary of w- what the industry sort of you know they innovated like um in in video going to um, digital video um, you know which emulates film and we want to make it look really great like you know 70 millimeter film but then uh, how do artists take that and find the edges and and make it do something different and there's so many so many ways to play inside the digital medium you know that you don't you don't associate it yet with mainstream and then artists will innovate and then you'll start to see it like uh, in this dreamscape in this uh, In this commercial film, or in the title sequence of that television show, or in a commercial selling cars, right? Into the Mothlight. Into the Mothlight Podcast.
0: We have a lot of people that listen to this podcast who will be actively um, submitting to film festivals right across the globe. So as someone who takes that part of the job very seriously in terms of being transparent, but also ensuring that you've got a good product to, to share with your audience, what kind of pitfalls do you see from people in terms of you know mistakes, for example, that they make when they're submitting that kind of discounts them straight mm-hmm. away?
1: I think the the most important piece of advice I can give is to understand as best you can the festival it is that you're submitting to Uh, in our first round of screening the first thing that we're looking for is is it it appropriate for the Ann Arbor Film Festival or not and we see a lot of really strong films um, that are technically very strong artistically um, and aesthetically very strong Um, they have a lot going for them but they're, they're not experimental um, in any way. They don't push the form in any way. We do show narrative, and we do show documentary, but um, those types of forms, we still are looking for something that goes against, um, or not necessarily goes against, but is different from what's mainstream or commercial. So I would say that's the, the, the first and foremost is um, make sure you're submitting to the right festival
0: final question then so what would be the, the the film or filmmaker that you would most love to be part mm-hmm. of, of your festival and we can we can make this people that are with us or people that are not with us any longer and the answer can't be David Lynch
1: <laughs> that'd be too easy right that'd be too easy. <laughs> um, hmm that's a really good question it's hard I kind of don't want to s- pick somebody out you know because then uh, there are probably others that <laughs> i will be forgetting i will say that our film festival because it is such an old festival it has a deep tradition in um in film and uh, in the celluloid medium and there's sort of this deep history of that um that as an art form then the 70s come along and we have the the Sony Porta pack comes out, and now supposedly we have portable video, although we can all laugh about that now because of cell phones, but I mean, it really freed up the medium for artists to gravitate towards and take it and do with what they wanted, and we saw this great uh, other um, area of moving image really blossom in uh, the realm of the fine arts. Um, In this day and age, it doesn't really matter. Like the the there's no difference. I mean, the, it's a level playing ground. I uh, I will, with the caveat, have to say that there are artists who do still work in celluloid and who embrace it and who who um, uh, expect to work in it and and do what they can to protect the medium and um, find ways to to work in that. But I would mostly say that. the the playing field is leveled, right? So that distinction between that root of experimental film versus the root of video art Mm -hmm. don't matter so much anymore. So my feeling is that I really would like for our festival to honor that other, uh, like the poor stepchild, you know? (laughs) Uh, If we could call it that. Well, maybe it's not the poor stepchild, but maybe it's just the cousin. Right, of, well, it was treated kind of poorly actually when it started. You know, the, fil- the f- experimental filmmakers did not like video, and I didn't either. I didn't like analog video, it was very ugly. I, I fell in love with film because it's so beautiful. Mm. Um, but when, especially as I said, you know, when digital video came out, I mean, the possibilities were very exciting. So I'm feeling um, quite an interest in trying to, to honor that history and find ways to do that um, over the next couple of years. Bring in people who um, were a part of that um, and highlight their work and, and yeah, honor those artists. Mm-hmm.
0: It's been fascinating to spend some time with you. Thank you very much for talking to us.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Into the Mothlight is a Charles S. Bravo production. You can follow us on Twitter at the Mothlight Pod, email your questions and comments to MothLightpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at MothLight Podcast. Like us, rate and review us wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast isn't sponsored by anyone. Perhaps you can do something about that. Until next time, goodbye.